It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Whitney Lordson. Before this episode begins, I want to tell you about something a little time sensitive that I'm part of, which is a three-day virtual conference called Love Yourself First, How to Develop Supportive Friendships and Meaningful Relationships. This is really up my alley. I think it's up your alley too, given the topics that I cover. And this is actually something that I was invited to by a previous podcast guest, Coach Lee Hopkins, who did an episode with me in August 2022, invited me to speak and be part of this wonderful group of people. And the conference is taking place February 10th through February 12th, 2023. And there you can learn some different tactics to loving yourself, creating lasting connections that will enrich, enrich your life. This is a paid conference. And so full transparency. There is a small fee involved with it. And I have a promo code. The promo code is, let me pull it up, uncomfortable. 20. So uncomfortable, just like this might get uncomfortable, but uncomfortable 20. And you guessed it, that'll take 20% off the cost of the ticket. And I'll receive a small fraction of that. And the rest of the money goes towards running the event. And if you want to invite a friend to this and buy two tickets in the same transaction, you actually get a 50% off discount on the second ticket. So if you're looking to deepen your relationships, create more joy, affection, and really just learn from people like myself, from Coach Lee, all the amazing speakers that he has brought together for this, you can go to the link in the description. It's a little long. The full link is alwaysloveyourselffirst.eventbrite.com, and that's where you'll en enter that promo code uncomfortable twenty two zero. And I'll put it in the description of this episode and also in the show notes so that you can easily click through and check it out. See if it's a fit for you. Use a discount, invite your friends, share, spread the message if you would like. And now on to the episode. I'm here with Dr. Michael and Dr. Barbara today. Dr. Grossman, both of you, correct? Is that you pronounce your last name? That's right. Excellent. I always like to double check because... I have a tendency to mispronounce. And I always love the conversations I have with guests like you before the show begins. And one thing that came up in that conversation was my curiosity about whether or not there are any couples who don't need professional support or outside mediation or guidance in order to work on their relationships, which is the topic of this episode today. And I would love to start off with this question of, are there ever people that the two of you come across who seem to have it all figured out in their relationships? Or even if they don't have it figured out, do they have enough tools in order to figure out themselves? Is there anyone who doesn't need outside support? 
This is an interesting era. Uh, the generations that are current want a lot in life on, in all areas. It might have been some time ago when being married and having children was mostly about um, taking care of everyone and surviving, that personal development wasn't central to our desires. But in this generation's present, there's a desire for not only true love, but personal continuous transformation and creativity and self-expression. And uh, for, for that, you know, most of us need some kind of assistance, some kind of encouragement and support and actual training. And that is interesting because it certainly seems like each generation has different approaches to it. I would love to know what you observe from different generations. What are the nuances in which they approach relationships or just intimacy? Because my perception, it, it seems like a lot of the younger generations, Gen Z, for example, they grew up as they're maturing. And, and this can be said about millennials as well, having access to online dating in a way that older generations didn't. I mean, I remember watching online dating develop when I was a lot younger, I would see that as kind of embarrassing, like, oh my gosh, you're going on Match.com or whatever platform. But now it's very commonplace and so common. It seems like most of the younger generations are using dating apps. So it's no longer taboo. I'm curious what you observe about how relationships develop and how people approach relationships differently depending on their generation. I'm not sure I know what the impact of dating platforms are. But I do know that in recent generations, there's really been a challenge to male and female roles. Since we're able to define ourselves any way that suits us, there's just a lot more to learning about a person and negotiating about a relationship and adjusting and finding how a partnership can work. A lot more thoughtfulness, a lot more conversation about it. Relationship isn't as predictable as it may have been in, in former years. It was only in World War II that women began to really work in the United States. It was not common prior to that. Now it's like uncommon to have the woman not working. To stay home with the kids is like, oh, that's the exception now. You stay home for a few months, but then you go back to work. For a husband and wife relationship, you have to work at defining the roles now, making it work for each other. And the complexity is, if you define the roles that says, you take the garbage out Monday, I'll take it out on Tuesday. You do this uh, half the time, I'll do this half the time. That does not work for a romantic relationship. You lose the passion. You have to have differences that you appreciate what the other person does, thank them for what they do. You have to create some amount of mystery and adventure in your relationship. If it's all like two people being accountants or lawyers together, everything is worked out like that. You lose the passion and then you end up having an affair. So you've got to keep the passion there. And it's much harder to do that now. And so a lot of what we do is to counsel couples how to maintain that passion. That's really interesting because I haven't really thought about it like that. It almost seems to me that when roles are less defined and let me know if I'm understanding this correctly. It sounds like if you define roles too much, that's where you lose the passion and the mystery. But we are also in this time where it seems like the social dynamics allow for people to kind of, like the boundaries can be crossed differently. Like if, for instance, you brought up a woman that might not work. So she's staying at home with the children now. She might work. The husband might not work. 
the roles can be in the traditional sense reversed, but they also might fluctuate because the partners might go in and out of different jobs and positions. So the roles might constantly be shifting. Does that create more mystery and passion if that's the case? Are you saying that if there's too much rigidity? The roles can be rigid as long as you are thanking and appreciating your partner for what they do and they enjoy what you do and then you thank and appreciate them for what they do. The roles can be very rigid. They don't have to change. If you have a magnet, it's the positive and negative that attracts. If you put two negatives together, they repel each other. So in your own relationship, one of the things we talk about in our book, Ageless Love, which is coming out in a few weeks, we talk about what makes the world go round is electrons going in an orbit, what creates molecules. Every molecule in the entire universe occurs because in the outer shell, there's two electrons that fit together. Now, electrons are all negative, but if they have different spins, they can stay in the same orbit. And the different spins is what makes the whole universe go ahead. That's what makes every molecule in the world is because the spins are different and molecules share electrons in this outer orbit and or they are pulled together. It's the, that positive negative spins is what we do in romantic relationships. We're both human beings, but we have differences. And when we accentuate the differences, that creates the possibilities of creating all kinds of things. Every relationship now has to create those differences. Whatever those differences are, you create them, but you have to figure out what they are. And that takes a little bit of work. It can be very common for relationships to fall into a rhythm where they're, the differences are not as evident or, or they're not changing as much, if I'm understanding this right, that somebody maybe get into too much of a routine and that impacts the mystery and the passion. Is that what you mean by differences? Not exactly. If the differences don't give you fulfillment, if you love the fact that your husband is the one who fixes everything in the house, which is what I do, I fix and repair everything. Barbara is the one who cleans up and gets everything neat. And as long as we celebrate that and we enjoy that, we feel this attraction. If you feel that one or the other is doing something that you don't like in that way, then that becomes a problem. Each relationship, you can be doing the same thing for 30 years. If you love it, if you appreciate your partner doing it, if they know that you appreciate them, then you're fine. You don't have to keep changing things. But you do have to be, keep appreciating your partner, and they have to keep appreciating you for what you're doing. And maybe at a certain time, things change. So we talk about the changes that occur in relationship. Things don't always stay the same over 50. We've been married 50 years. It doesn't stay the same. So I think what Michael's trying to say is you don't want to take each other for granted. Do what you do and become buddies because the passion goes away and it's humdrum and other things and other people become more interesting. That Michael fixes things. He fixed something for me last night. It's a mystery how he does it. And I'm so excited because I'm absolutely helpless in that arena. And I appreciate it so much. And a lot of what we do for each other comes out of request. I asked Michael about 10 years ago to learn ballroom dancing with me. And we've been dancing ever since. Now we're competitive dancers. It uh, lights my life up. It makes me so happy. A lot of dimensions in which 
we respond to each other's needs or we define ourselves in certain ways that are we are grateful for. It brings energy to our lives and it pushes us to grow because we're not just doing operating in our own lane. We're actually receiving stimulus from our partner to learn and grow in, in certain ways that wouldn't have been organic. I love that last part of that stimulus side of things and growing. This is something else we talked about before we started recording, which was how relationships can help you grow as a person. And I also want to point out how you're emphasizing gratitude and appreciation and not necessarily encouraging people to change and keep things, quote, exciting all the time, but really acknowledging the differences that you organically have and showing that appreciation verbally, giving that affirmation to each other, noticing those things. And that's really interesting because I feel like when it comes to growth, a lot of people feel like growth means that you always have to change, meaning like they're always striving for more. People want to be different. Or maybe they're seeking so much difference and change that that leads them to someone outside the relationship, as, as Dr. Michael pointed out, perhaps an affair. Do you think that, that the personal development world is helpful in encouraging people to change so much? Or could that potentially be harmful because people are always seeking something different? Well, I think in personal development is it more internal self-reflection. Life creates our change. We're not the same in our 30s as we were in our 20s. We're not the same as, as our in our 40s as we were. And there's just an evolution over time. It has to do with very basic biological reasons. When we have children, our roles change. One of us becomes more involved with children and less vocationally oriented. That has a tremendous effect on the personality. It means that we're more sensitive to children and to people and to people's needs. We're not so much intellectual looking for goals that are less personal. There's a variation in the relationship where we were young and together, we were both on the same pattern of developing ourselves. You know, one, the person who's doing the child rearing takes a step back and isn't so focused on her personal growth. It's usually the woman, but sometimes it's the man. There's that to contend with. And then later on, as the children get older and not needing so much parental micro attention, what happens to one partner, the the child rearing partner, is they catch up with their personal needs. And oftentimes it's not so pleasant because she's the child rearing parent has been suppressing their personal needs in favor of other people's needs. It's an explosion in a relationship. It's very easy to misunderstand that and to make that mean the other partner's been suppressing them or life is suppressing them. That has to be worked out and a total rebalancing and revamping of the relationship has to occur. So we don't have to look for change. Life presents us with change. We simply need the skills in order to navigate those conversations because how we conduct ourselves really holds our future. Because if we're angry, resentful, defensive, it's not going to fare well for the relationship. Despite what I said earlier about a lot of people seeming to crave change and something new, there also seems to be some fear of change in a relationship. It seems like some people want to stay the same. And if they change biologically, as you mentioned, Dr. Barbara, there's a fear of getting older, for example, like their appearance is going to change and they're afraid that that's going to impact the relationship. Is that something that you see come up in your work? And if somebody's feeling those fears of changing as a human being, like maybe they're afraid they're going to outgrow the relationship, or maybe they're afraid their natural changes are going to be unpleasant for their partner. 
How does somebody work through those emotions? I don't uh, hear so much fear about aging, and there's answers to that. And Michael can talk about the interventions that longevity medicine can provide for people to age gracefully. What I hear mostly people's fear of disconnection, because that's what happens in relationships over time. It's an art to learn how to keep the connection by how you speak and how you behave. One of the things that we talk about in our classes and courses is that there are three secrets to falling in love forever. So secret number one is seeing the big picture of what happens over a lifetime. That is more or less inevitable. You move between feeling close to the things you love, the people you love, to feeling more separate and distant from the people that are in your life. And that's something that happens inevitably. It's not like you have control over that. When you're a newborn baby, you suck in the mother's breath, you're just you and the breast. You're just totally there. Get to be two, you're feeling separate. You're in the terrible twos, you want it your way, your mother's not cooperative anymore, and you're feeling kind of like, wow, mother's not like she used to be, but it's you who's changed. And then you get to be five and seven, eight, you feeling you love being part of the family. Oh, it's great to be brothers and sisters and parents, everybody. You love being part. You're close to the things you love. You get to be a teenager. You're feeling separate from your parents again. You want things your way. And it's a difficult time. And that keeps happening. You get to be 20-something. You have a relationship. You may be married, may have children. You love being part of the family again. You get to be 35 and 40. All of a sudden, you've, you've changed. You've had enough of the family. You want your own personal desires and values and careers to come out. And maybe slightly different timing for the man and woman, but it's going to happen. And then you go into another realm, which is possible and everybody gets there, where, where you once again feel close to the things you love. You're a grandparent and you do love feeling your career is not so critical. You love being part of the family again. This is secret number one. Secret number two is as you're going through these changes, you need to be able to listen to your partner without interrupting. Your partner has a different way of seeing the world than you do. It's not right or wrong. But unless you have a skill where you know how to really listen, and we teach that. It's a skill like ice skating, and you're born knowing how to do it. We teach that skill. Secret number three is don't expect your partner to automatically, intuitively know what you want. Because whatever you were 10 years ago is so different now. You have to make requests of your partner nicely. And we teach them how to make nice requests. There are two sets of skills and one set of seeing the big picture. So that's what, one of the things that we teach in our courses. That sounds so valuable. And it, it brings me back to my very first question about how common it is for people to feel set up with this type of knowledge. And it seems to me like a lot of people can use this information because people struggle with this outside of their relationships. Communication challenges happen all the time. It feels like a lot of people just don't know how to listen. That one in itself sounds really interesting to me. <laughs> it was not a problem 100 years ago. When you were 40 years old, you were probably dead. So you didn't go through all these changes. It was not a big problem. 200 years ago, 35, 40, you're dead. You're not alive anymore. It was not a problem. Now you live till you're 80. You've got a lot of stuff going on that you have to deal with. That is very true. I haven't thought about it that way. I'm curious, Dr. Michael, if with your interest and knowledge and longevity, knowing 
how to stay youthful seems very important in a relationship too, because it's not just about Dr. Barbara was pointing out maybe somebody fearing aging, like how their body's changing, but it's also about living a longer life and how that impacts your relationships. That's a great point. If you were alive 200 years ago and you're going to be dead when you're 40, you never have to worry about menopause. You never have to worry about your hormones because you're dead. Now you have 40 more years to worry about that. If you have no libido, if your brain doesn't work anymore, if your moods don't work, you don't sleep good, you're irritable and you're angry, you have 40 years of being miserable. And it doesn't matter how much you love your husband, you're still miserable or how much you love your wife. You're just a tired old man. That's all reversible. I take care of that's an easy fix. It's so easy to do that with natural bioidentical hormones. All that stuff is gone. I'd love to hear more about that because I think even people in their 20s and 30s seem to be struggling with their hormones, with their bodily functions, feeling things like anxiety and depression. And that must have an impact even in youthful relationships. That's a different sort of problem. That's not an aging menopausal problem, particularly women who have hormonal imbalances when they're younger, and we can help that with natural hormones. But pretty much 90% of women who go into menopause somewhere between 45 and 55, they just feel terrible, and it's all hormonal, and it's an easy fix, very easy fix. What are some of the ways in which a woman can work on her hormones to keep herself feeling balanced emotionally? There's all kinds of things you can do, but when you go into menopause and you're not menstruating, you're not sleeping, you're irritable, you're moody, you're tired, no libido, your brain doesn't work like it used to, the easy fix is natural bioidentical hormone replacement by creams, little injections, or pellets under the skin. It's dramatic. It works 99% of the time. People feel great, and it's, it's such an easy thing, and we find that the um, the results are consistent and repeatable, and it just works all the time. And compared to people who do nothing in terms of these the hormone replacement, you live longer and healthier if you take these bioidentical hormones. And in terms of living longer and healthier, we should mention that we talk a lot about in our book, Ageless Love, the most important factor in longevity after the age of 50 is the quality of your personal relationships. So you've got to have good personal relationships. To maintain good personal relationships, it helps to have these hormones. It makes you feel youthful. It makes it much easier to have relationships. And being sexually active seems to promote longevity. People who have sex twice a week or more live longer and healthier than people who have sex once a month or less. Having sexual intimacy as you grow older is very important for health and longevity. And is that true for both men and women? Yes. Interesting. This feels like a good time to pause the episode and thank one of the sponsors, Athletic Greens, because it ties into this idea of doing your best, taking care of yourself so that you can live longer and stronger. There are so many benefits to including vitamins, minerals, probiotics to your diet and getting them from whole food sourced ingredients. This is one of the reasons I love AG1 powder. It is designed to be a blend of ingredients that support your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy recovery, focus, and aging. Sounds a little too good to be true. 
but it's all based on the latest science with constant product iterations and third-party testing. It's recommended by leading health experts. And it came from the founder's personal experience with gut issues. I've, of course, tried it myself. I love the flavor. I love how easy it is. It's convenient. You can travel with it. I mean, I can go on and on. They even have sustainability values. Uh, They're doing so much. And I have always felt good vibes from them. So that's why I've partnered with them over the last few months. And I'm also excited that they're offering something to you to make it really easy. Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of their immune-supporting vitamin D, which is this amazing liquid formulation I try to remember to take every day. And they're giving you five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash wellevator. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash W-E-L-L E-V-A-T-R. Don't worry, that's linked in the description and the show notes for this episode to make it super easy to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. You mentioned some of the things for women, what they can do as they're aging. What about for men? What is beneficial for them? The main thing we do for men would be testosterone replacement by injections or little pellets under the skin. It just changes their life. For men, it's not as quick in terms of going into menopause. The andropause for men is much slower. It occurs very slowly over a period of years. So when men is 50, he feels not as good as when he's 40. When he's 60, he's not as good as when he's 50. We find that it's a big factor. For men, 50% of men at the age of 50 have some amount of erectile dysfunction. 70% of men when they're 70 have erectile dysfunction, and it keeps getting worse and worse. So to be sexually active, to have an intimate relationship, we have all kinds of interventions. I do a lot of Gaines Wave, which is a vibrational treatment. I do a lot of injections of platelets and growth factors, which dramatically change men' erectile dysfunction. So for men, they have their own issues. Clearly, they feel so much better. And not only does it help men sexually to function, but when we give them testosterone, it helps their brain, their mood, their enthusiasm, and their muscles. And they just feel youthful once again. Dr. Michael, one thing you are passionate about is meditation. And I'm curious what role that plays in longevity, in your relationships. How does that improve someone's quality of life? Meditation is a foundational process which allows you to dissolve stress. In today's life, there's so much stress going on. Compared to 150 years ago, people didn't have so many clocks and watches. There were no cell phones. There was no urgency. When you travel to other parts of the world, it's such a different thing. It's a third world country. Everything is relaxed and people are calm and there's no hurrying. That's not the first world country. That's not America. People are stressed out. And when you're stressed out, your physiology changes. When stress increases, your immune system goes down, your ability to digest food goes down, your blood pressure goes up. We can compare it to if you're running away from a tiger and you have to jump into a tree to try to survive. Your body shuts down the immune system. The body shuts down the digestive system. Your body shuts down higher thinking, puts all the blood into the part of the brain that just controls movement. And when you're under stress continually, that's what happens. You shut down all those things. 
Meditation reverses all that. So meditation calms you down. People feel happy and relaxed, refreshed, and then you can be loving. You can't be loving when the tiger's running after you. You're surviving. So meditation is real critical for people. I love teaching meditation. I teach classes twice a week, Thursday night, 7.30 and Pacific time, 12.30 afternoon Pacific time. People love meditation. It's easy, it's simple, and the results are very profound in terms of benefits. Imagine you do that for free. Right now, I'm doing it for free on the classes, yeah, yeah. So they can go to Dr. Michael Meditation Secrets with an S, secrets with an S dot com. Yeah, so that's a fun thing. I do that. I enjoy doing it. I've been teaching it for 40 plus years. It's fun. That's wonderful. Well, thank you for your generosity and offering that for free because sometimes finances are the barrier for somebody trying something new or, or doing it consistently. And Dr. Barbara, do you practice meditation as well? Is this something that the two of you do together? Well, meditation is a more individual focused commitment. I'm an intermittent meditator. My spirituality is anchored with in other ways. I have a background in theology, so I'm a kind of spiritually oriented person. My version of connecting with myself is a ballroom dancing. I'm happy to say we're talking about longevity. I'm 71 years old. I just came in second in a world competition in senior division. It's a very dynamic exercise, and it's a beautiful expression of art. I'm happy to be an example of, of living longer and living elegantly. And I'll mention that Dr. Barbara and I, we go away to spiritual retreats very often, and we enjoy that a lot. I'd love to hear more about how ballroom dancing has impacted your lives. And I love that you brought that up as a segue from meditation, because certainly there are different forms of meditation. And you said personal practices and really getting in touch with yourself. And dancing is such a majestic form of self-expression and getting in tune with yourself. And Dr. Barbara, I'd love to hear what is it about ballroom dancing that has really impacted you? And, and also, how has it impacted your relationship? Gosh, what a big question. First of all, it, it is a wonderful thing to be 71 and have a strong body and to be able to control my body and to have it um, not only have stamina, but be able to um, express myself in a beautiful form to the most beautiful music in the world. And dancing is a perfect example of partnership because you have to work together, but you're not doing the same things. Michael can describe it from his point of view, because he's the man and he leads. As a woman, I follow. But following is a misrepresentation of what's involved, because while I have to be strong, my body has to be able to move in the direction that Michael leads. If I don't take long steps, I mean, Michael's ability to take long steps is determined by my ability to stretch back. We are in partnership. We can't go any farther and we can't be any more beautiful than how we work together. It's not like one person is in charge. We're both contributing to the partnership. It's a learning experience, and we have to give each other feedback all the time about how bodies are arched and properly expanded. We have to constantly be in communication in a nice way so that our movement is as beautiful as possible. We take our students, when we have classes in person, we take our students to the ballroom for an experience of ballroom dancing. We have our, our coach give a class so that couples get a, the idea of what lead and follow is and partnering together to make it a beautiful expression of your being together. 
And so it's actually a metaphor, what you do in romantic partnership. You don't do the same thing, but you work together intimately. And the man has certain responsibilities, timing and direction. The woman has responsibilities to take the big steps and follow and then extend whatever the man is doing and extend it and just look like the flower. So that's her responsibility. We each have different responsibilities, but we have to work together and we have to allow each other to be able to express ourselves fully. It's a peculiar balance between boundaries and the qualities of intimacy, both of those things at the same time, which is what you do in romantic partnership. That's such a beautiful metaphor. And I love also the points that you made about the strength and the stamina and the, you know, the self-expression that is painting this beautiful picture of, of dancing or exercise or creativity and, and the benefits that it can have, the ripple effects it has on life. And you're also pointing out a few things about masculine and, and feminine roles and dancing and how that might apply in bigger pictures like our relationships. And I'm curious about your viewpoints on masculinity and femininity. We talked about the generational changes and there's been a lot of shifts in the way that people perceive what it means to be masculine, what it means to be feminine. What are some of your thoughts on those shifts that we've taken as a society in our culture? It's complicated, but one of the things we talk about in our book, Ageless Love, which is really worthwhile to think about, is the human brain and every animal down to worms has a divided brain. Half the brain is to focus on details. Half the brain sees the big picture. Why is that? Why every animal is like that? Why not just have one brain? The answer is you need to spend half of your attention on deciding, is this a seed or is it a rock if you're a bird? And the other half of your attention is spent on, well, is that an eagle that's going to eat me or is that just a, a cloud in the sky that I can ignore? You have to see the big picture of what's happening. Half the brain, you don't know what's coming. You're just looking out. Like when you're driving a car, you can't focus on any one thing. You have to see the whole big picture or else you're going to crash. If you're just focusing on the license plate in front of you, you're going to crash. Half your brain sees the big picture. Half the brain focuses on the details. In our current society, we're very busy focusing on details. Everyone has a computer in their hand. They focus on details. Nobody sees the big picture. Who's looking at, at the big picture? Not too many people. Meditation helps you to see a big picture. Being in an intimate relationship forces you to see the big picture because you can't localize your husband or wife. If you do, it's a big problem. You have to let them be who they are. And we talk about in today's world, we need to focus on that right brain which sees the big picture. And you have to do that more and more. Now, that is generally more feminine, the right brain seeing the big picture, the masculine seeing little thing and looking at the details. But it's not an exact thing. Men and women both have right and left brains. But most people now, men and women, are stuck in their left brain seeing the little picture and looking at the little things. We need to see the big picture. We teach in many different forms how to see the big picture. Let your feminine self come out, see the big picture, let spirituality be there. You meditate, you do ballroom dancing, you're learning to see big pictures. I love the way you're describing that because it does seem like a big struggle for people and they can get so focused on, let's say, 
what's happening in the news right now. They're absorbed in the details of what someone else is going through because they saw it on their phone or the television. And then they forget the bigger picture of what's happening throughout the world or what's more important than that. Huge problem to see the big picture. It used to be natural 200 years ago. Everyone was in the big picture kind of a thing or a lot more of the big picture because that was just the nature of life. Now the details have taken over and that's a big pinch and it impacts our lives in so many ways. And not you've got to have that balance. And right now the balance has to move back to seeing the big picture. Dr. Barbara, you expressed a passion for growth and personal development and share that in common with you. I I love learning about shifts and what I can do at noticing what other people are doing and in their dynamics. And you also mentioned that relationships can push people to grow. I'd love to hear more about that of how maybe a relationship can help you see the big picture as Dr. Michael pointed out. Maybe relationships are helping you notice strengths or weaknesses what are some more specific ways in which relationships are supporting people in their individual growth? So let me focus on one particular time frame and challenge for a couple. In most relationships, at some point, the man is tasked with the responsibility of making more of the money because the woman is child-rearing. And as a consequence, the man is focused on thinking and strategy and the bottom line. And the woman is focused on caretaking and nurturing and supporting. You have a man who's really in his head and you have a woman who's mostly in her heart. And the challenge for a human life over time is to integrate both the head and the heart. Many couples get into the challenge of hearing each other because head language and heart language are different languages. If a couple can get through that that pressure cooker and integrate both feeling and thinking into each of their systems and be able to experience it and express it, they're on the home stretch. It's very hard to get through that because each partner thinks they're absolutely right and self-righteous. It's a challenge for couples. Our culture doesn't have, you know, a explicit wisdom about that, especially in terms of media. It's mostly head or it's heart. It's complicated. Each couple has to navigate that transition and that integration on their own. What, part of what we offer is how to share those different parts of self and integrate them because it's so important for the future development and satisfaction of the couple. I hope that you've noticed during this show how much there is to learn from other people. Really important conversations can happen on podcasts. And this is a great time for me to mention the show's sponsor, Zencaster, because they help me make all of this happen. They have created this platform that's all in one, allows me to record really high quality audio, record video up to 4K resolution. They now have all these neat new features that'll help podcasters like myself distribute through all the major players where you're listening to this, monetize like ads, like including this very one that I'm doing right now even do some editing. It's been an absolutely amazing tool. So if you're interested in having these types of conversations on a show of your own, or if you have a show and you're looking to improve it, I cannot recommend Zencaster enough. And because they're sponsoring the show, they are offering a 30% off discount on your first three months of Zencaster Professional, 
All you have to do is use my code WELLEVATORZEN, that's spelled W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R-Z-E-N, at ZencasterPricing.com, or <laughs> Zencaster.com slash pricing. I will link to that so that you don't make the same mistakes <laughs> as I do in the show notes, as well as in the description of this episode to make it really easy, Zencaster.com slash pricing. See, I could edit this out using their tool, but I'm not going to do that. I want to keep this authentic like my show. So thank you for listening. I want you to have the same pretty simple experiences that I have aside from all the human error out there that can happen. Uh, And I don't have my editors do my uh, ads at all. But I hope that you get to have this wonderful experience with your podcasting and content needs so that you can tell your story as well as other people's stories that come on your show as guests. Now back to the episode. One thing that sticks out on that topic is the self-righteous side of things. (laughs) And I find myself feeling humbled by that because I have a tendency to get a little self-righteous because I spend so much time working on personal development studying psychology and communication. I'm very interested in improving and fixing things. And sometimes I feel frustrated when I'm in a dynamic, whether romantically or friendship, family, someone else who seems like they're not as committed to personal development. I have to kind of check myself because I might believe like there's a right way to communicate. I might believe that there is a better way to do things. And I struggle in those moments of thinking, wow, I want to practice these tools, but this person isn't on the same page or they have a different perspective. How do you navigate through moments like that where you feel like you've learned so much and you want to apply it, but that person might not have learned the same things and there's a conflict there? Well, I think the art of learning how to share personally and not putting pressure on someone to be the way you are. It's a challenge to oneself to share in a way that's effective. Most debates don't work. <laughs> the more developed you are, the more you can be influential. And it may take sharing more of self than ideas for some people. You have to you know, learn how to be effective in the moment. And the more flexible you are in presenting yourself, the more impact you'll have on others. And I would add that The way you share and the deep quality of sharing is different when you have a romantic relationship than you have other relationships. Other relationships, it depends. If you're having a parent-child thing, it's very different. If you're having a thing with a friend, it could be very different. Now, some friends you can share very intimately and some friends not. But in a romantic relationship, there are differences there. And it's very important to have both of you have the skills to be able to share and listen to each other and absorb this other worldview that's so different than yours. And yet, you're willing to listen and understand that, hey, it's not right or wrong. It's just, this is how you see it. This is how I experience it. And we'll just sit with that difference. We're not going to insist that we both have to see things exactly the same way. And some things you may have to compromise on, and that comes out of the sharing. But it's most important to just accept that each has a different way of seeing the world. So like, for instance, when I share with Barbara, sometimes she'll say, wow, I like the way you see that. I'm going to look at it that way. So that happens. But a lot of times what will happen is that we just say, well, I'm 
surprised that you saw it that way. I don't see it that way, but I can hear that's the way you see it. It allows us then out of that to make requests of each other. We can make requests where we ask them to behave in a different way or do something differently, but we do it nicely, not from how dare you do it, but just like, oh, gee, it would really make me happy if we did it this way. Well, that reminds me of something I believe Dr. Barbara said before we started recording, which is that many moments are uncomfortable, but that doesn't mean anything is wrong. And sometimes it feels uncomfortable to feel in disagreement with somebody, but maybe that's an opportunity to grow in your relationship and not say like, oh, we think so differently. We must not be compatible because some people would say, oh, we can't get along or we have different perspectives. And they might take that as a sign that they're not meant to be together. Is that something that you notice dynamics? And if or how does somebody work through that, their differences and determining, does that make them the right person for one another? Or does that just mean that they need to work through that discomfort and find some common ground or appreciation? We have a dance show. We tell the story of our relationship and the different moments in time where one of us had the impact on the other or vice versa and how we've grown over time by hearing each other's feedback. It's a rather striking shifts over time for each of us. It's so important to be able to share and to request and to invite new behaviors that sometimes big changes can start with a single change in behavior. Sometimes it involves, um, we have just great stories to give couples an idea of how change occurs. It doesn't have to be from a therapist. It doesn't have to be the heavens opening and lightning striking. It's just from the organic sharing of what you want, what would make you happy, and trying doing something new together that initiates a transition into a new part of self and a new part of relationship. We tell our story so people get the idea of how not to hold back and to ask for those things, not in a contentious way, not as part of an argument or confrontation. It would really make me happy if we dance together. I made a suggestion at, at a time in Michael's life when his dad was passing away to not just go and show up and, and hold up the wall with other, other relatives and watch dad pass away, but to share himself with his dad. He had no idea what I was talking about. And um, so we practiced it to serve the purpose of that precious moment of Michael being with his dad. It opened up Michael's heart and initiated a whole new chapter of our lives together. These opportunities happen for all of us at various times. And if you're connected with what's happening and you connected with yourself and what you want and you say it nicely, all kinds of miracles can happen. That leads me to a question that I imagine comes up in a lot of relationships, which is how do you know when you, whether to stay in a relationship or not, whether it's a matter of learning communication, becoming a better listener, working on yourself, or is it a matter that you're simply not compatible? It seems a little confusing because a lot of the challenges that you can end up in a relationship may seem to resolve them. I would say one of the things we have to distinguish, if you're in a newish relationship, and for instance, you like to have children and your partner doesn't, that's not like a little thing. That's a big thing. And you may have to talk about it and share about it and look at that. And then that might be 
a reason not to continue the relationship. If somebody is in a new relationship and they want to live in a certain place near their family and someone else wants them to move to another country, that's a big thing. You have to work that out. And that may be a reason not to continue a relationship. If you're in a relationship for a long time, most likely those things have been dealt with already. And then you have more opportunity to really deal with the things, as Dr. Barber says, to look at the other person's point of view, make requests, make compromises, work things out, figure out how will things work. Does someone want you to work full time or you want to work just part time? You know, there's all kinds of different things that come up that are practical and you need to have the skills to talk about it so that it actually works. So a lot of people come to see Dr. Barbara have all kinds of issues that they work on. So here I am talking for Dr. Barbara. She's capable of talking for herself. But that's one of the things that she works on is what things are life-breaking in the relationship and what things just have to be worked out. And it's amazing the things that she works out. Child raising are things that she is so brilliant at working on that. When couples have upsets around the children, Dr. Barbara has been just incredible about how she works things out, where the parents have to straighten out their own rules and regulations about how to raise the family, and then all the problems disappear miraculously. How they do? Is it good? <laughs> I focused on creating partnerships. If you've committed to each other and you're married and you have children, I will work hard with a couple to help them come together on the issues that separate them because the commitment's there. It's no small thing to get married. It's a big commitment. Um, now, if you're, if you're dating someone for a long time and you haven't married, but you, you love the, the person, but there's probably something going on that keeps you from committing to the long haul. And I would want to explore that. Most challenges that I hear are from couples who have committed, they've created a life together, and then they come upon their differences. And for me, that's an opportunity to grow. I'm committed to the relationship. If you're not yet committed to the relationship, I'm not yet committed to the relationship either. Um, because there, there must be something that's holding you back and you need to explore that and understand that and either resolve that so that you come together formally or understand that you've been holding back for a reason that you need to respect. I love the way that your website is set up to address some of these issues. For example, the parent-child issues, the money issues, power struggles, feeling unimportant. These seem like such keys and to a dynamic and things that people commonly struggle to understand. So through your work, you have your books, as you mentioned, you have your new book, Ageless Love and multiple others. And you also do group coaching and online courses. So for somebody who's interested in doing some of this work, what's the first beginning stage for them? Like where do they figure out what's best for them in their relationship? One, they can go to agelesslovequiz.com and they can take a little quiz and look at what are the major barriers or blocks to their experiencing love with their intimate partner, their romantic partner. And they can then look at those options of courses that are online, very inexpensive online courses, three 20-minute videos that give them homework to do. And these are fantastic courses, Dr. Barber. is just a, a whiz at knowing how to help people. You know, she only has done 60,000 client hours, so she's really fantastic at it. 
Then the other thing you can do is you go to fallingloveforever.com, which is our website that you can see some of the online courses we have and the books we have. The online courses can be online in terms of Zoom, and people get tremendous value out of that, and they get two hours of being with us over four four weekly sessions, and it, it really changes the relationship, gives you skills for a lifetime. And those would be the, the kind of things that would really be valuable to your audience. I'm so grateful for them. I mean, having an online quiz is, is such a nice place to start. I clicked over on it and I see you get a free report explaining the results. So you kind of get this instant feedback because I feel like there's a lot of panic that people feel in these moments and loneliness. Like, what do they do? Where do they begin? Um, you know, a challenge in a relationship can feel so devastating and, and really impact somebody in some profound ways. So having these tools that are simple and quick um, as a starting point is just such a wonderful offering. And I'm really grateful for the work that both of you do. And as you mentioned, Dr. Michael, all of the hours that each of you have spent in studying these things and taking the lessons from your relationships, but as well as the clients that you've worked with to create a guide is really just fantastic work. I can also mention that if anyone wants to do some of the medical things that I talked about, they can go to ocwellness.com. That's my website. They can look it up and look at that options. And we can do a lot of things online now all over the country. People, I can do all these things online. They don't have to come into my office. Isn't that so wonderful? One of the big benefits of the last few years is that the technology has developed in a way in which people can get support all around the world from one another. For the listener, I will link to all of these resources in one place, along with the full transcript of this episode. You can go back and reread some of the wonderful advice. You can see the video version of this, and you can find all these links easily at wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. And also right below in the podcast description, there's a little paragraph underneath the podcast player and that has some of the links so that you can get started right away. You can take one of these quizzes, pick up a copy of the book or books, plural, as there are several there. And I'm curious, Dr. Barbara, Dr. Michael, any parting pieces of advice before we wrap up this episode? Anything that we didn't cover that you want to make sure to get across to somebody? Well, I'd like to emphasize that life is challenging. What would make it easier for all of us if we take responsibility for learning how to sort ourselves out and how to talk, how to share ourselves? A lot of the unnecessary conflict in relationships occur because Many of us don't know how to share ourselves in a way that's, that's honest and descriptive and respectful to ourselves and our partner. And we teach that. It's so important to be effective in how you speak. I want to encourage your listeners, look into learning what they need to learn to be responsible partners and share properly so that the relationship can grow and respond to each of your needs. And I would encourage your listeners to follow up on these things that we're offering because it will be a critical part of experiencing falling in love forever. And not only does it extend your life, but it actually allows you to experience the purpose of your life, which is to grow in your heart and develop yourself emotionally and spiritually. Beautifully said. That is a wonderful way to end this conversation today. 
and begin somebody's journey towards learning more about themselves and their partner and their life purpose. Thank you so much to each of you for spending some time with me and the listener today and for all the work that you do. It's our pleasure. Nice to be here with you. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to Wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com.